0: I awoke to the sound of Carla sobbing in the bathroom. When I opened my eyes, it took a minute to realize what I was seeing, but I could definitely see a thick shaft of sunlight jutting through the window. The room was there too, but still mostly a a hazy artist rendition. I sat up fast and blinked a few times, hoping to wipe away the gauzy film. Unfortunately, that was a no-go. But I jumped out of bed and was able to easily make my way to the bathroom without the fuck stick. I took three steps into the room and grabbed the shower curtain, metal rings scraping loudly against the pole as I jerked it to the side. What the hell? There was blood everywhere, on her, the tub. I stepped into the tub and grabbed her, trying to ascertain the source of the bleeding. Her body was doing that thing you do when you've been sobbing for so long. You've got an internal shudder going, and it has to play itself out before you can eke out a gasping breath.
1: Oh no, what are you
0: doing? She didn't seem to be asking the right questions, Nor did I recognize the sense of urgency I'd expect of someone covered in... Shit. That's about the time I saw the opened box of what was probably hair color on the sink just outside the shower. I could make out a bottle in the trash, also, covered in red stuff. Jesus, I thought you were bleeding.
1: Huh, that's funny.
0: Why are you crying? What's wrong? I barked the question more harshly than I should have because I don't like dealing with females in the midst of emotional crises or sadness or despair of any kind. I am wholly unqualified to wrangle such matters into submission. She pushed me away from her and tilted her head back beneath the spray. Deep, red rivulets dripped down her body. She was still blurry, but I could see her. She didn't answer my question until she'd finished rinsing and began lathering her hair with shampoo. I reached around her to grab the soap, since I was there, and already wet.
1: I've seen photos. Huh? scene photos are awful, no, no
0: crime scene photos. Shit. When we went through that box with the documents from Jill Reynolds' case, it was Carla picking out each item the computer would then read to me. I never thought about the crime scene photos. Didn't even know we'd gotten them. By the sound of her sobbing, they weren't pretty. Bad, huh? She rinsed a shampoo from her hair and then grabbed my shoulders sliding me around so I could take her place beneath the shower spray to rinse off the soap. Mm-hmm. She grabbed a shampoo bottle and squirted out the juicy fart sound indicative of it nearing the end of its contents. I bent over so she could reach my head, and she lathered it into a soapy pile while I put my hands on her hips, pulling her to me. Warm, wet skin against warm, wet skin. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, what for?
0: Oh, I don't know. Pick a couple things you're pissed about and apply accordingly. Neither of us could afford me giving an honest answer to that question. We had a meeting tonight with the city council that we had to prepare for. The harsh truth is that Carla had seen more gory crime scene photos than anyone should have to see in a lifetime. The ones she saw of her son's murder were nothing short of horrifying based on the ME's report on Jill Reynolds' homicide, hers couldn't have been much better. The monster turned her face into hamburger meat and the prosecutor verified there'd been a whole lot of blood. So here's what had happened at some point in the night or early morning. Carla got out of bed and retrieved the stack of photos that she may or may not have forgotten to mention. She knew I couldn't view them anyway. Maybe she needed privacy with which to view something as intimate as the remains of someone's physical form, which had been separated from their living being in the most inhumane way possible. This might be a good time to recognize the people among us whose job requires them to look at pictures like this on a regular basis and oftentimes see the real thing. These same people interview folks who will sit across the table from them and lie right to their faces in situations when the stakes are as high as they can get. These people show up at crime scenes and encounter situations which, after experiencing them, might change the way they view the world from that moment forward. These people are tasked to solve crimes. And I think we all know that humans who commit acts such as these aren't the best of us. The injuries they are capable of perpetrating on the bodies of their fellow humans are so abhorrent, it's impossible for most of us to process. But these brave few must grab a magnifying glass and scoot up really close to these ugly things because that's what it takes to solve a case. A career of such intense observation requires an individual to shoulder those burdens year after year, case after case, so the rest of us don't have to. Violent crime scenes aren't something even I, as a seasoned private detective, have had to delve into too deeply, until recently. But I can tell you, these aren't images you slide into a filing cabinet when you clock out and head home for the night. These are images that will always be with you once you see them. They become a part of you. So this is what I'm thinking about, as I consider not only how Carly is feeling, but what we're about to do at the city council meeting, we're getting all spiffed up for. I'm thinking about Detective Sergeant Price. I'm thinking about the stakes. I'm thinking about over 30 years of burdens he shouldered. And he still got this one he can't seem to make right. Hell, he may have a couple like this one. The ones that got away. The word gnaw was tailor-made for what goes on in the gut of someone in law enforcement who knows what they know and hasn't the legal ability to do what needs to be done. I have no doubt that Price has had a few sleepless nights with Joe Reynolds' name all over them. There are some pretty specific reasons why this case is where it is. I got a very clear indication of what that was after Lola had a chat with the hardware store owner's wife While Carla and I huddled in a booth at the back of the bar and went over what we needed to say at the council meeting, we'd filled Lola in on the bomb fitting that we learned about from Price, only to be blocked from getting the rest of the story about the receipt that dare not speak its name. Carla suggested that Lola pop over to the hardware store for an item the bar needed and somehow fit it into conversation. I've gotten to know Lola, so I assume she didn't bring a twenty two and hold it to the woman's head. But she can be as charming and persuasive as Carla, meaning she doesn't leave the physical proximity of a space until she's gotten what she needs from that space. She was over there for about 30 minutes and finally learned that they did find a sale matching the price of the rubber fitting used in the bomb in Carla's bathroom in Detroit the one that seemingly followed her back home from Reed City the first time she'd visited, and made it known all over town that she'd be buying that goddamn building. There was an interesting story about that sale and how the hardware store owner's wife remembered it. She actually recalled the sale prior to it with great detail because it had stuck out in her mind. Having sold six tubes of silicone glue to a woman dressed as a peacock, Apparently the peacock came in to pick up the glue on the way to a costume party at her son's school. The peacock had preened and giggled and told her all about how she'd made the costume herself, and how the party was the culmination of a semester project to teach the kids about animals in a way that would engage them about the environment. When the peacock finally grabbed her bag of glue and exited the store, the customer, who'd been waiting behind her, said, "'Miss Peacock has a fat ass.' The hardware store owner's wife apparently remembered the as comment quite clearly. Then Fred Hansel, of our now infamous bar assault incident, put the rubber fitting on the counter in front of her and pulled out his wallet. Now you understand all my talk about the stakes earlier. At least I hope I've made that clear. Carla dragged me to JCPenney's in Big Rapids that afternoon, insisting i needed a new outfit to wear to the city council meeting as if by distracting ourselves with the simple task of making me presentable we wouldn't have to start prodding at our elephants again elephants were always following carla and me around
1: why are you do it I don't know.
0: why do you do it well that's a good question I suppose he could have gotten testy when you went around town asking questions about an old homicide and brought his name into it. But now that I'm thinking back, I don't know how he'd have known about you contacting Price and asking about him, specifically, unless Price told him.
1: I think on it.
0: Carla was at ten, and I needed her to hover around six for my mood to continue to hover around Cranky. Carla... If what you just hissed suggests there was something to be in on, no, that's not what we have here. Let's just be blunt about what we have here, because I'm not drunk enough for this conversation to be happening with the little information we have. Hensel could have somehow gotten wind of you asking about him specifically regarding that homicide case. And let's say he did, and that pissed him off. Not sure that's bomb-worthy anger. We now know he bought a part that was used in the bomb in your bathroom. That's all we know. If the bomb in your bathroom is at some point connected to the one at the Osceola, then we can mosey on over a little closer to hysteria. Until then, let's not go assuming anything.
1: I know hooning.
0: You're hooning all over the damn place. I can feel the assumptions vibrating out of you like the reverb of a slinky wiggling up your arm when you sling it around.
1: I'm not assuming anything, more no, but I know what I know. We don't have the facts yet, but I know that cop did both those bombs, and I'd be willing to bet he either did that murder or knows enough about it that he doesn't want us nosing around. I can't pull it together yet, but I will. Check your watch, because you'll look back someday and remember the exact moment I was right about this case.
0: Can we go shopping now? You know how much I love doing that with you. So the fact that I am hurling toward that situation with great haste while simultaneously hurling away from this discussion should be illustrative of my mood. The door locks clicked and I swung mine open, yanking my fuckstick out and slamming it. Then I vigorously fucksticked my way across the parking lot while ignoring the pleas from my assistant to be careful of the cars sliding in and out of the strip mall. I don't want to be involved in this homicide case. Not actively. Looking into it is one thing. Becoming part of it is quite another. I don't want these bombs to be related, and I really don't want that homicide to have been committed by a cop. There are about five layers of fuckness involved in that possibility that I don't care to think about at present because I'm about to partake of something equally unpleasant. Carla Danning picking out an outfit for me. Later, while we were getting dressed when Carla recommended the sunglasses to round out the ensemble, I took it as an insult.
1: They look good on you, and you're going to have to do the talking. I think they'll make you feel more comfortable.
0: I still hadn't told her my vision was returning. Not sure why. Maybe I wanted to make sure it stuck. At any rate, I took her suggestion, and it did feel like I had another tool, along with my fuckstick, for keeping people at arm's length—a disguise, if you will. Lola joined us, as did Shirley. As we entered the city building used for meetings, which was owned by the elementary school, I could hear the din of conversation ricocheting off the walls in that hollow-sounding way a large space provides.
1: Well, damn, the place is packed.
0: Lola whispered as we took seats near the back on the aisle. I sat on the end so I could get up to the front more easily. Carla was the one who'd been summoned, but she couldn't speak, so I'd have to do that for her. There's a deity out there somewhere who deserves a great deal of thanks for that one, by the way. We'll call the meeting to order. Everyone took their seats, and the mayor directed the clerk to note that all council members were present along with the Housing Director and other such notables as Reed City Police Chief Dooley, City Attorney Jordan Sims, the City Manager, who Carla and I had endeared ourselves to on the one occasion we met, and Michigan State Police Detective Price. Their first order of business was to adopt a resolution to amend another resolution. I never quite caught what that original resolution was about. Next, They spent a fair amount of time going over last month's meeting minutes for corrections and then going over the presentation of bills for approval. When that was taken care of, they began with new business. One citizen lodged a complaint about a street light that was out in her neighborhood and was told it would be addressed. Another citizen asked about a public meeting involving the budget, and there was discussion about when the date of that meeting would be posted. Then someone from Berber Construction, a local outfit that got a great deal of construction work out of the city, according to Lola's whispered backstory, asked what was going on with the Osceola Hotel sale. The mayor announced that the Osceola Hotel building had been sold to a private buyer after negotiations fell through with the city. And now there were safety inspectors questioning the city about what would be done to secure it for public safety reasons. The mayor noted that they had invited the buyer, Miss Carla Danning, to speak on this topic. When Carla stood, I stood with her, and I felt the entire room sit up straighter in their chairs. When we arrived at the front of the room, Carla gently took the stick from me and set my hand on the podium she thought I still couldn't see. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dex Morneau, and this is my assistant... Carla Danny, I'm a private investigator, and she is currently my eyes. Today, I am her voice. Let me start with some history, so we're all on the same page. About that mess at the end of the block that my assistant never should have gotten involved with in the first place. First, we have the seller, the asshole that screwed her over. You can bet he knew exactly what he was doing in selling it to her two days before he was supposed to sell it to the city. But these guys over here gave him such a hard time for the better part of two years, it was his last screw you to the lot of them. Good for him. Don't mind saying I'm enjoying that part of the transaction, just on principle. I beg your pardon? No need to beg, I'm guessing you guys made every step enough of a production that he finally gave in. Everyone in town understands the behemoth on the corner wants the property to expand. No need to pussyfoot around the issue. You guys had only recently gotten the building qualified for a blight elimination project where you'd be getting almost 400,000 big ones in government funding to bulldoze the thing which means nobody else has to pay to knock it down and haul away the mess. And then the plant would only be on the hook for the purchase price. So everything was falling into place nicely for the city to smooth the way for the purchase by the plant. Until my assistant got a bug up her rump for a very personal reason that only speaks to her continual need to realign the universe when humans screw it up. So she bought that building Then she went home thinking that was the end of it, and almost got blown up by a bomb in her bathroom. Which, okay, perhaps, could have been attributed to someone generally irritated with her being a pain in the ass. She sometimes has that effect on people. I have no problem stipulating to that. But then it happened again. And while she can be that big of a pain in the ass, someone trying to kill her for being the human equivalent of a hemorrhoid seems a bit much. I think we can all agree on that. So I'd like to know what any of you might know about those bombings. Carla has told me she will sell the hotel to the city or the plant, however they want to work it, for only what she put into it to include the 40-something grand you guys bled out of her the second time around. You'll get to do your blighty thing. It'll give the plant what it wants. I'm sure your city manager can fit in whatever words need to be inserted here to sell your city on the deal. But here's what we're going to need from you in return. Something nasty seems to have followed my assistant back to Detroit after she visited Reed City the first time. The only thing I can think of is that someone wasn't too happy about her buying that building. And I'd like to find out who that somebody is. Because after it followed her to Detroit, it followed her back here again. I am currently two bombs over my limit. I'd like to know if these bombs are related. Then I'd like to make sure the perpetrator or perpetrators are appropriately dealt with before we leave town. We have work to do back home. We don't want to be bothering you folks. Asking questions about this or that other thing. Which brings me to the other thing I suspect is the real elephant in the room tonight. Carla and I know all about elephants. I've learned that poking at them tends to get things moving. So while I'm here, let's go ahead and do this. I'm going to break this down for you in a way that the police have not done. Because it's not generally how police operate with the media and the public. The elephant in question is that somebody went down into that hardware store basement on that January afternoon in 1983 and laid into Jill Reynolds and that somebody has yet to be held to account. This was a vicious crime, and there was a lot of blood. That woman was brutalized beyond anything you people want to consider, and you need to understand how bad it was. Once the cowardly monster finished... He either had to get the hell out of there or find a way to clean up and stick around. You're either looking at someone who came into the store and left the store that afternoon, or you're looking at someone who was already at the store, thus couldn't leave without raising suspicion. Yes, you must consider employees. Yes, you must also consider someone who came in and was able to somehow get away without being detected. I feel confident this person had some blood on it. And even if they were able to clean up in that back room before they got away, they likely had to get rid of bloody clothing and possibly other items. If you were around town that day, ask yourself if you saw anything. Anyone disposing of any items that, thinking back now, seems suspicious. Did anyone you know start the day attired one way and ended another without a good explanation for the clothing change? What I'm saying, ladies, is if your grandpa or husband left home in one outfit and the next time you saw them, they were dressed differently, and poking at something in a burn pile, maybe think back to his whereabouts that day. If the perp left that building with blood on his clothes, he had to do so in a way that somehow camouflaged any incriminating blood or injuries. That's all I'm going to say because I imagine Detective Price's face is darkening to a nice shade of purple as my mouth continues to move. Just think back, people. You've all watched a few episodes of Dateline in your life. You know how these things work. Someone went down there and killed that girl, and then they had to hide the fact that they did it. Do you know anyone who was acting strangely or doing strange things that day or in the following days? And for God's sake, if you were in the hardware store that day and have never spoken to Price, get your ass down there and tell him what you remember. Might not seem like anything, but I would bet he's got a really good timeline going. Being able to account for every minute is imperative. I don't care if you think you didn't see anything important that day. If you were in the store, talk to him. <coughs> I figured that was about enough. I grabbed my fuck stick from Carlin, and we headed back over to our seats. As we walked, she tapped the small of my back twice. It was easy to translate. She thought I'd done good. And that felt great for about 25 seconds. Until someone in the crowd yelled, Price, you boys screwed up that crime scene. Everyone knows it. Hey, maybe I forgot to cover something earlier. So let me retake the podium. I waved Carla away, pointed in the direction of her seat, then fuck-sticked back to the podium. Detective Price is not the bad guy here. I want to make sure you all understand that. Don't go reading into anything about my feelings for the detective by the fact that my assistant and I have been asking questions around town, thereby becoming the ass-chapping he never requested. We've got our job to do, he's got his. What Detective Price got when he walked into that hardware store was a case that if you'll pardon the expression, sucked balls right from the start. We'll stop for a moment and set the brutality of the crime aside because it goes without saying, nothing that happened in the basement of that store should have happened. What you need to understand is that no one who had the misfortune to view that crime scene was in any way prepared for what they saw, nor are they the same person for having seen it. I'd like you to take that into consideration. If you happen to be looking at the facts of this case, if you happen to be looking at anything else, it's speculation. Since the public is not privy to any details that can be considered of evidentiary value, I think it's safe to assume there is only one person in this room who can speak with any authority about it. What he's not saying, there's a reason for that. But feel free to speak how you feel about it, because that's where I think this town's come up woefully short. You can't understand a thing if you're only willing to look at its parts.
1: What the hell does that mean?
0: It means talk to each other. What do you remember from that day, from that time period, in general? What was going on back then? Did you know the woman? Is there something you remember? What about your friends? Ask around. If there's one thing I know about small towns, it's that someone always knows something. Nothing goes totally unseen. Nothing. You want Detective Price to do his job, give him something to work with. He's not a mind reader. A lot of the people originally involved in this case are no longer with us. The rest of them are getting up in age. My advice to what's left of you is this. Don't take something to the grave that should have been left here. We didn't bother to stay for the rest of the meeting and it appears Price had the same idea. He cut out just as I finished kissing his ass, according to Lola. We were piling into the car when I heard the voice of an elderly woman calling after me.
1: Hey you, wait a sec. I saw something that day and I'm going to tell you because I tried to tell that city police chief a long time ago. Don't know if he ever told Price, but he hightailed it out so fast I didn't have time to catch him.
0: I turned around and felt Carla next to me. I could make out the fuzzy forms of Shirley and Lola, rubbernecking from the back seat with their windows open. But because it was dark, I only saw their silhouettes, created by the dome light in the car.
1: I was working down the street on a corner that day, a clothing store called Daisy Mays. Me and my boss, his name is Bob Cox, and he's still around, so you could probably ask him about it, too, because it was weird. We were just working on a display near the front window. Where was this store? right down in the corner of Upton and Chestnut, same side of the street as the hardware
0: store. Okay, go on.
1: So we're fixing that display and all of a sudden out the side window we see a man wearing a raincoat with a hood. Looks like he'd come from behind the stores because he crossed the street to the other side and kept walking that way behind the buildings on the end of the block. Stood out because the raincoat was white with big flowers. Flowers were pink or purple, I think. Really gaudy. He had on men's boots though Brown or black. Pants underneath. Black. Brown. Maybe even jeans. But it was a lady's raincoat poncho type with flowers. And he looked ridiculous. I think he was carrying something under one arm beneath the raincoat. Like a bag or something. I don't know. But it bulked out a little like he had something under there. I know one thing for sure. It wasn't raining. I know another thing too. Wouldn't catch my husband wearing my raincoat. Rain or shine. What you said in there made me think of that flowery raincoat. Because every time I think of that poor girl, I think of that man in the silly raincoat and how it wasn't even raining.
0: The Dex Morneau series by Jenny Decker.
1: Narrated by Greg Wrights and Jenny Decker. Music by Blue Dot Sessions.